Great, you may be seated this morning, thank you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1. What happened? The stage is in the wrong direction. Oh, what a, what a surprise that we've done that wrong. Okay, that's great. How about that, guys? Thank you. I want to talk to you this morning about some key words that are in this Colossian scripture. This isn't one of them, but I want to talk about it. Do you see what that is? That says Gilligan. Does anybody remember a show called Gilligan's Island? Seriously. I need to know how many can, can know this show. I, I'm probably dealing with a lot of people. Okay, good, good. So sit right back and you hear a tale. Tale of Do you know it? I don't. I want to get to Gilligan. I want to get to this. That says Castaway, the worst movie ever made in the world with Tom Hanks. Remember that one? <laughs> How boring is that? It's terrible. It was so, I mean, I'm, I'm, are you serious? The whole movie, a guy talking to a volleyball? Come on. Anyway, that's not in the Bible. Anyway, we're not there yet. Okay. This is the word I want to talk to you about this morning. And then I want to talk to you about this word. First word being rescue, second word being kingdom. We'll get to Gilligan and Castaway. Look there, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series this morning. And what I want you to remember this morning and how we want to frame this talk this morning is we, I want to tell you that hope, the current series that we're talking about in Colossians, hope has a kingdom. But in order for us to be in that kingdom, we've got to be rescued. <laughs> in order for us to even live in this new kingdom, this new reality that Jesus has for us. But hope gives us a kingdom. Hope gives us rescue, allows us to even walk in this understanding of a new kingdom. And we'll get there. Look there in uh, Colossians 1. The verses we're going to tear apart real quick this morning are going to be this. Look at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Let's, let's, let's take this in now. Let's, let's commit our minds and our hearts to what's being said. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Many of us who are uh, in ministry as pastors today cut our teeth in youth ministry. We spent a lot of time doing youth ministry. Randy has done that, Dave has done that, I have done that and we one year I decided to take a group of 25 teenagers to uh, Pennsylvania for four days 
of whitewater rafting, mountain biking, and what they would call spelunking, which is like cave exploring. Now, when you go on these adventures as a youth pastor and you take these people, these, you know, these, these children with you, you're, you are at massive risk because you're the one who's the protector of the whole thing and you deal with mamas and papas before the week of and take care of little Johnny and little Susie and they're concerned and they should be concerned and I have kids now and I'm very concerned about that whole thing and so uh, the, the day arrived for us to take this group of kids into what you call it's called the Laurel Caverns it's near Ohio Pile Pennsylvania and there have these caves that go literally a mile into the earth you put on these hard hats okay and you uh, put a little flashlight on and you you trek down into the earth you following when you get down in there it's nothing like it uh, you would imagine it's it's like the, you know it's like a movie set but it's like way better than Disney could do it you know it's it's massive it's it's there's boulders that you climb over that are as tall as this building that you you go over and under and through these rocks and and so we've got all these kids there you know and we get down in and we're we're probably two hours down in all right, which meant we had gone quite a ways. And I tell everybody, turn off your lights. So everybody turns off the light. And have you ever been in the blackest of the blackest of the blackest black, black, black hole? That's what, what it was like. It was like you couldn't, you, and it, was, it took even like quantum double time to even adjust to, to even seeing your hand or anything, right? So there we were, and I thought it was a cool thing to talk about the light of the world. And so we, we, we we're talking about the scriptures, and you know, in this darkness, then we turn on the light, and we, we go further down in. We crawl up through this crevice. This girl that's with us is crawling, trying to get up kind of to the top of this little crevice that we're crawling in. She falls down, and it, we heard her ankle snap. So, it, it, you know, it was like, uh, you know, when you're, it was like, you're going, you know, and that's what she does. And all, and it was, it became Pac-Man central in this cave beneath the earth. Everybody running, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen to us? It's horrible. The, and she's down there holding her ankle. And of course I have some of the, the folks who are, you know, your first responders, you know? And they say, Joel, we heard a snap. Did you hear a snap? We think it broke. You know, I felt like I was in some surgery room or something, you know? And everybody immediately moves into, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And suddenly I was hit with the very real fact that I was a mile below the Earth's surface with 25 teenagers and had no clue what to do. So somebody made a really great suggestion and said, we better send somebody to the top and get the fire rescue dudes down here. And that's what we did. It was one of the only times that I've been involved in an epic rescue. And we sent a couple of the folks, or a couple guys up with some, with some staff members. And we waited in this cold, dark cave with this girl, tried to elevate the foot. Come on, all you medical people, we tried to do it right. We tried to elevate the foot and, you know, take care of her, give her water, <laughs> the whole thing. 
three hours plus later, over 20 rescue dudes from the local Union, I think it was Union, Pennsylvania, the town, come down. We see all these lights on their hats coming down in. And we begin to grab this big Stokes basket and we put her in this basket. And, I, and these guys are like total, total stud muffins. Just unbelievable. I mean, we're talking tobacco chewing, spitting dudes that just, you know, are ready to walk into the seventh circle of hell. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just unbelievable how they handled this whole situation. You know, we got it, we got it covered, and you know, they're taking care of her. And, and I look at the guy and I said, so what are we going to do? And he says, we're going to take this rope, this long rope, and we're going to tie it to this basket, and we're going to pull her to the top. And I said, no, we're not. There's no way. What are you talking about? That's crazy. And he looks at me and he goes, well, how else would you suggest we do it? <laughs> and I was thinking of like an Old Testament miracle is how I was thinking of the rescue. You know, a big giant helicopter drill down in, you know, <laughs> lift them up, you know, levitate the body. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I definitely wasn't thinking that. Seven hours it took to the top to take her. And it was one, who, who was it? Is it? Was it Andy Warhol who said everybody has their, their 15, five minutes of fame, whatever it was? That was, I got my five minutes. I walk out the door, there's TV news cameras. And all I'm thinking, as soon as I see the TV news cameras, is I've got mamas in Michigan that's gonna see, are gonna see me on the news. And they're gonna be calling me up, wondering if, they're, if little Jimmy, you know, did bad thing too, you know? And I did the thing that we all dream about doing. I look and I go, you know, sir, can you tell me what's happening? No comment. That's what I said. I said, no, I, I, still to this day, I said, I don't have any idea why I said no comment. Maybe it was because I was just so nervous. I didn't know, no comment, you know, no comment, man, you know. Maybe it was because I was so torn up and, you know, I was just absolutely worn out. This concept of rescue is, these, is this, this idea here that's in Colossians 1 that when I looked through our our commentaries this week and a lot of reading on this, almost every commentary said this language that Paul is using here, look there in verse 13, when he says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This is this concept that really harkens back to what Jesus did with the Israelites in Egypt as, Jesus, as God sent what? The messenger Moses to free these people this is the kind of feeling, this is the kind of metaphor, this is what Paul's saying to us when he's saying here in Colossians, but for he has rescued us, this dramatic rescue. And when you look through the scriptures, you get this theme. You see a theme through the Old Testament of God massively setting up situations so that he actually can come in through the back door as the rescuer. Abraham and Isaac, go kill your son. He takes Isaac up to the top of the mountain, almost ready to kill him. God shows up. God shows up here with the children of Israel. I want to take you through this for a minute, and I don't want you to turn there, but listen because it's the context upon which I want to talk with us a little bit about this important word of rescue in our lives. In Exodus, God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush. And he says, listen, he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. 
and I am concerned about their suffering. Then, listen, he says, this is, this is actually in the scriptures. He says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. I am sending you to bring them out, he says to Moses. And do you know what Moses says? Moses says, who am I that I should go? Translated, I'm not good enough to do this job. Moses later argues with the Lord and says, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do this. Translated, I'm scared. I don't have what it takes to do this. Follow now. In Exodus 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says to Pharaoh, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival uh, to uh, our Lord in the desert. And Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know the Lord. I will not let Israel go anywhere. And Pharaoh gets so mad at what's going on that he doubles the work of the Israelites' brick-making adventures. And things get real bad. Follow this now because this is the dramatic sense of what God obviously has for us. Things get real bad because the Israelite foreman comes to Moses and says, this is crazy and stupid, this plan that your, your Lord had for you to come and free us so that we don't may have to make bricks anymore and leave this country out of this place. This is crazy because we're getting in trouble. We've had our workload doubled. As a matter of fact, many of our people have even died because the slave drivers have made us work so hard that they've lost their lives. What are you guys doing, he says to Moses. And Moses does the thing that you and I do many times in the midst of God's massive and beautiful and dramatic and timely and patient rescue plans for our lives. He jumps the gun and he has to go and he has to give it to the Lord. Can you imagine this conversation? Why have you brought trouble upon this people? He says that to the Lord. I say that. Do you say that? Why have you brought trouble to my life? This is a conversation he has with the Lord. He actually asked this, almost cynical. Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And he says this, listen now. And you have not rescued your people at all. Be careful of the conversations we have with our sovereign Lord, by the way. But Moses was obviously at his end. He was at a point where he didn't want to really understand. He had taken so many complaints on with all the people that he was just at the bottom. And one of the beautiful things is about this is that maybe it's okay for us to talk with our Lord about our hearts and our discouragements and the darkness and the trouble that we are in and the Lord is patient with his children. The Bible definitely speaks about that. But if you were to translate Moses' words, they would be translated like this. You are not a rescuer, God. You're a troublemaker. You're a troublemaker because you've caused trouble in my life. You've brought suffering to me. I don't want to be in trouble. 
I don't want to experience pain. I want the children of Israel to like me. After all, I am their leader, the leader that you want me to be. I don't want their, this leadership thing to equate to trouble. That sounds like us, doesn't it? And in Exodus 6, God speaks to Moses like a spoiled kid. This is important that you get this because it sets up what Paul's talking about in Colossians. And this is what God says in Exodus 6 to Moses. Listen for these words in, as I say this to you. This is right out of the scripture in Exodus 6. Listen how many eyes God uses when he talks to Moses, talks back to Moses about Mo Moses' accusation. Now you will see what I will do, he says. I am the Lord. wonder why he wanted to tell him that. Maybe Moses was confused about who the Lord was. Maybe he thought he was. Maybe Moses thought that he was actually the, the ruler and the controller and the sovereign of this whole thing that he was doing. Maybe he thought Pharaoh was. But the Lord, listen now, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Translated, this is my idea. I established my covenant with him. I moved. I have heard the groaning. Listen, I have remembered my covenant. I am the Lord. I will bring them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free them from slavery. I will redeem them with an outstretched arm. I will take them as my people. I will be their God. I am the Lord their God. I will bring them to the land I swore to them. I am the Lord. Well, Moses is convinced, as we all would be. And in Exodus, it says in Exodus 6, 9, he reported this message to the Israelites. And now if we go back to Colossians, look back there in Colossians, where Paul says, and he has rescued us. Some of your, your the translation may say, and he has delivered us. It's the same concept. But this idea of he has rescued us has much more dramatic implication in it than we initially could read. But this is exactly what Paul is reporting to the Colossians, who are these group of young believers, and really we're trying to figure out, if you will, what exactly happened at the cross. What, what is this whole thing about? Paul's trying to tell them that God has acted, God is our Lord, he has unfolded a very big rescue plan. At the center of that rescue plan is a man and a cross. Look there in your scriptures where it says, He has rescued us, look what it says next, from the dominion of darkness. Well, what Paul's saying when he's saying that, try to follow this, is this. Just as God, follow this, this is, this is an important connection. Just as God saw the horrible tyranny that Pharaoh had placed on the Israelites, he sees the horrible tyranny that the domain of darkness and that sin has placed on us because of the fall. Just as the Israelites were under the yoke and burdened under Pharaoh's rule, follow now, we before Christ are under the yoke and, the, and burdened by sin, like animals under a yoke. 
Just as the Israelites were crying out and groaning because of the Egyptian slave drivers, we as people before Christ are crying out and groaning because of our slave driver's sin. Sin is the slave driver, sin's curse. And then lastly, just as God provided Moses as the man to lead his rescue effort, God provides who? To lead his rescue effort. Jesus, that's right, the God-man. Jesus would lead the rescue effort. He showed up. I was facing a difficult time with my father. For those of you that don't know, I lost my mom early. She was 51 years old. And I, I, I would like to take more time to tell you the story, but I, I won't have it. I'll give you the bullet points. So I, it was, I had a really good family upbringing. It was nothing but a grace and a blessing from my Lord to me. And my mom, after she passed on, my dad and I were golfing one day, and he looked at me and he said, um, uh, hey, he says, uh, and he had gone through a very difficult four years of her sickness, and he said to me, he says, uh, hey, when do you think I should get married again? And I was really mad that he asked me that question. Because I had, I, I have, I don't know if you're like me, but I have quite a righteous sense of justice in my life for everyone except me. And I said, uh, I said, well, I said it should, you know, should minimally be a year. And he, he got quiet and we played another two holes and he said, why a year? And I said, can't you just give your children a year to mourn for you? to mourn for mom? And he said, he said to me, he said, I remember exactly, he says, ooh, I've walked into some hot territory, haven't I? And I wanted to swear at him at that point. I was so mad that he was so obtuse to my hurt. We talked it through, we got done talking it through, we talked it through at probably five or six other occasions, and seven months later, he did, he's dating a woman. To make a long story short, it was really difficult on me. And we got into a lot more issues. And by this time, I was out in Colorado, and he was in Michigan. And he called me one night, and we were on about the 15th conversation about the same topic. You ever been on that with anybody? Number 15 just goes, I'm just so over it, Lord. Maybe sometimes the Lord has like 50, and I want to stop at 15. Was my dad worth 15? Answer. Yes. It was. And by the way, your wife and your friends are worth 15 times 50. That's what the gospel compels us to do. He called and he says, well, we started getting into it again. And I said, Dad, if you say this one thing one more time, I want you to know I'm going to hang up on you. And I don't want to talk to you until I call you. He said it. I hung up on him. Righteous Joel. I hadn't talked to him in a couple weeks. And I mourned the fact that we weren't talking. And I went out to a retreat out in out of, uh, Mount Princeton, at the, at Colorado. It's, it's this mountain that's, uh, that's out by uh, Buena Vista. And we had a bunch of kids out there to camp. And I was on the third day of this camp, and we were just having a great time. 
And I'm sitting there after lunch. And in comes my father. And it absolutely and completely wasted me. I began to bawl. Because he showed up. Because he loved his son enough. Because he heard my groaning. And I don't want you to miss out on the fact of the beauty of the gospel when it says here that God heard the groaning of his people. And the groaning comes from sin's dark curse that took place at the fall. The burden and the yoke come. We had to have a redeemer rescuer that heard us and came and provided himself on a cross for us. He showed up. Do you realize that, young, young friend? That's one of the reasons why Paul says he's so thankful. He has heard our crying and our groaning. He descended into the blackness and the darkness in the cave of our world only to bring us a well-lit hope. He gave us that hope by placing his body on a cross so that his bloody sacrifice would pay the penalty for our sins. Without that bloody sacrifice, we don't get forgiveness. And now we have redemption. Now we have forgiveness. And by the way, I don't know if you're like me, but forgiveness, I am convinced, is the very thing I want and yearn for every half hour of my life. I want it so bad because I get so lost and I need just for my thought life forgiveness from a holy God that's going to help me give me strength but forgive me allow me to confess to him I want that Lord to offer me that and that was offered to me at the cross this is what Paul's saying this is what Paul's saying when he's saying and he rescued you there's massive ramifications of this rescue and so you could say to me today well what does this all mean for us and let me close by giving you the last piece of this scripture look there for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and look what it says and brought us that's very, same language as Exodus, I will bring you out, he says, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. At the cross, God allowed us, because of him, to now actually be transferred to a new kingdom. And in this kingdom, there's a king. And this king is Jesus, his son. But there's this principle of transference that we've got to be able to grab onto that Paul's wanting us to get. He says, I have rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of Jesus. The idea here is that we literally, because of the death resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's been a path made possible for us to enter into the kingdom. We've been transferred 
We've been transferred, the first principle of transference is this, we've been transferred from darkness to light. Remember this, my friend, this is important for you to hear today. Remember this, darkness equals hopelessness. Light, the true light, equals hope. Are things dark in your world today, young lady? Are things dark in your world today, young man? Old man? Who is your rescuer? Go back to my illustration in the cave. If you're standing at the bottom of a very dark place in your life right now, and you're standing at that place, and you, see, you can see as you look, as I did that day, I can see it like I saw it yesterday. You can see all the rescuers coming, the over 20 rescuers coming, with those little lights on their, their helmet. They're coming to you. Here's what I want us to remember. There's a big difference between the little light and the big light. Who is your rescuer? Who is mine? Is it my husband? Is it my wife? Is it my plans? Is it my job? Is it my dreams for the future? Is it another place that I could live in? Is it pornography? Is it a sexual relationship with a young lady or a young man that is outside of marriage that I truly believe will rescue me? Is it? Is it my brains? Is it my medicine that I take because I'm so shattered on the inside that nobody will ever know? And I won't tell anybody about it, but my true rescuer is going to be those pills. Is that what it is? It's a good question for all of us to ask, me being number one. Who's our rescuer? And the thing I want to tell you about that is this. Know this, that all those things that I just mentioned, those are all little lights. Those are the little lights coming into your darkness. We need the big light. We need the light that is the light of all men. We need the light of the world. His name is Jesus, and he died on a cross for you. So we've been transferred from darkness to light. And the last thing I want to say about this point is this. This idea of new kingdom is that now we live in the kingdom of light. We've also been transferred from slavery to freedom. That's what Paul's talking about when he says you've been brought out. You've been in this new kingdom because in this new kingdom now, there's light. In this new kingdom now, there's freedom. Redemption is a word used for the emancipation of a slave. For the buying back of something which was in the power of someone else. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you have been emancipated. Brought back by Jesus. You are no longer a slave to your fears. A slave to your sins. Even though you may feel like you are, you are not a slave to your helplessness. You are not a slave to your past. You are not a slave to your shame. You are not a slave to your faults. It is not the gospel. That's like castaway. I'm going to find my way off this island. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make a raft and I'm going to make it happen. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is we have a rescuer, an outside rescuer that came to save us. You're not a slave any longer. Young lady, I talked to many of you. Young men, I talked to many of you. The idea of living in this new kingdom is not that you would be enslaved to fear or your past or your hurts. This new kingdom, you've been rescued from that. The question is, did Gilligan ever get off the island? For those of you that are following Gilligan's Island, the great sitcom of the late 1960s, you'll know that all the castaways, all the shipwrecked sailors on the island never really got off the island. It was just one show about how these people were living on the island trying to figure out how they could get off, but actually they just kind of made a mess of everything. They bumbled around and did just whatever they did, but they never got off. Let me just make sure I remind you today of something. <laughs> Jesus died so that you, you would know that you're off the island. He's transferred you to another island. You're in a different reality now. The whole economy of this reality, this new kingdom is different. You don't have to be a slave to fear. You've been freed from your past. I know you've heard this before. God said in Exodus that he would lead the children of Israel to a good and spacious land. And I guess I want to remind you today that because of the cross, we've been transferred to a good and spacious land, my friend. It's a free kingdom with Jesus as our king emancipator. I love this verse. It really hit me this morning when I read it because I really tend to think that I'm my own rescuer. And here's what it says. I'll close with this. 2 Peter 2.7. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a concept that's very difficult for uh, me to get. Um, I... Uh, I tend to uh, conjure my own plans of rescue. Even as I think about the, the struggles of my life with my daughters or my friends, I, I don't do what your scriptures say, which I look to the hills from where my help comes from. I've got my head down looking at my own feet and my own hands. And I got a feeling that some of my friends here have the same problem. Hear us today confess to you, King Jesus and Lord, that you are our rescuer. You are our healer. You, and by you the power of the cross, have brought us out of sin's curse, brought us out of the blackness into the kingdom of light. Lord, would you be so kind and merciful with us to help us learn what it means to live in this new kingdom. Amen.